The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood along the shore. And he spoke to them at length in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, where it had little soil. It sprang up at once because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. But some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit. A hundred or sixty or thirtyfold. Whoever has ears ought to hear. The Gospel of the Lord. I have a question for this very intelligent young man looking, sitting right here. Good morning, sir. What's your name? Casper. Casper? Do you have ears? Yes? And what are your ears for? To listen. To listen. Very good. Why does Jesus need to point that out? If you have ears, you should hear. It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Did anybody ever have to teach you about using your ears, or did you just start listening? I start listening. You said, this guy's ahead of us. <laughs> Whoever has ears ought to hear. Every now and then, Jesus says something that seems so incredibly obvious, and that's exactly why he's saying it. Because the reality is, it's not so obvious as we think it is. Jesus is not saying, make sure you remember to turn your ears on in the morning. Jesus is not saying, make sure you don't use your ears for something else. But he is making a statement about our hearing and lack of it. Whoever has ears ought to hear. Hear what? Think of what you listen to on any given day. First, there's the sheer amount of noise in our lives, in our world. There is an incredible amount of sound. 
that simply fills the air around us. So much so that when we're confronted with actual silence, no background noise at all, many of us find ourselves disoriented. We don't like it when there isn't some sound filling our ears. But that's noise. And we're not conscious of listening to the noise. We just let it fill our ears. Then there's the other listening we do. We have our favorite sources of information, and we listen to what these sources have to say, whether that listening is done by reading, or by listening to the radio, or by watching it on television. We do certain listening at home and among our friends. There are those individuals we listen to more frequently than others. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but think about how many times you listen to somebody give you advice, and it was a train wreck. It knocked you, it pulled you off course. And then there's that internal listening that we do, where our insecurities speak and we listen, where our regrets speak over and over again, and we listen where our resentments speak over and over again, and we listen. And then there's that listening of our to our desires, not all of which are good, not all of which are healthy, but when we're alone with ourselves, it's amazing how loud they speak in the silence and how easy it is to listen. And yet there's another voice, deeper, curiously insistent, and yet easily overlooked because it's much easier to pay attention to the noise. And that's the voice of Christ. Whoever has ears ought to hear. Because the ear, the ability to listen, is not for listening indiscriminately. This capacity to listen is something that has to be disciplined and has to learn its proper direction. This is what we see in stark relief before us in our Old Testament reading today. And at first glance, one might say, well, Father, it has nothing to do with listening. It has to do with the fact that people were hungry. But the reality is it has everything to do with listening. Because the people who turn to Moses say something absolutely ridiculous. This is the people who were slaves in Egypt and couldn't free themselves. And working through Moses, 
God before their eyes worked ten miraculous displays of power that convinced Pharaoh to let them go. And having witnessed and experienced all of that and being gifted with sudden freedom, even as they're leaving and Pharaoh's army comes after them, they panic again. And they worry that Moses has led them out to die, to be killed by Pharaoh's troops because they were busy listening to their fear. And they forgot what God had already done for them. And because their fear was speaking so loudly within them, there was no trust that the Lord would continue to protect them, as if God's action was pointless as if he intervened to free them and then would just leave them on their own. And so standing at the Red Sea, the Lord works a miracle in their fear. And they pass through victoriously. And the army they were afraid of is destroyed behind them. This is the people who now say to Moses, you brought us out here to die. And we would have been better off in Egypt by our flesh pots where we had something to eat. They're listening to their hunger speak. They're listening to the inconvenience and the difficulty that they're moving through speak to them. And that is all they are listening to. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all have days or weeks or perhaps even years like that. where all we pay attention to is what's not right, what I don't have, what inconveniences me. And it produces resentment, it produces fear, it produces distrust. Beneath the overheated, polarized rhetoric in our own nation, there's a lot of this, a lot of listening to that which worries us, that which upsets us. And the responses are so often angry because that's what happens when we listen to those things. And so here it is. This people who has seen with their own eyes and experienced in their own lives some of the greatest works Almighty God has done up to that point point. We'd be better off as slaves because then we'd have something to eat. Oh my. They don't even know what they're saying. You brought us here to die of hunger in the desert. And how stupid this is. You worked 10 miracles in Egypt to bring us here and kill us. You parted the waters of the Red Sea and stopped Pharaoh's army from killing us because you wanted to do it yourself. That's what they're saying to God. They don't even realize it. 
but they always keep going back to listening, to hearing the wrong thing. And so the seed of these great experiences falls on soil that is rocky and doesn't have deep roots. And so they experience the miracle and they clap their hands and they rejoice and they thank the Lord and then something goes wrong and they forget because they're so easily worried, so easily preoccupied. These great wonders are worked in their midst. And what happens? The thorn of self-doubt, the thorn of recrimination, cuts it off and doesn't let faith grow. Whoever has ears ought to hear. The problem is not the seed. The problem, the issue, is not the sower. The issue is the ground. What an important parable that is, and how wonderful it is to have this counterpoint in this story from Exodus to remind us of how easily our hearing goes off course. We listen so easily to the negative voice. Our ears are often hungry for the negative word about that person we disagree with, about that person who just might be better than us and we long to hear about their faults. Our lips are so easy to speak the negative word. The positive word is difficult to listen to, difficult to seek, as much as we say that's what we want. You know, it's one of the remarkable things in our society where everybody says, I hate the news because it's all so negative. And then what do we do? We put it on for two or three hours and we listen to the negativity. All the while saying, that's not what I want to hear. The heart does this all the time. I don't want to listen to angry people, but then I do. I don't want to listen to that litany of regret in my heart. And what do I do? I play it over and over and over again. Perhaps we're better off admitting that, yeah, I do want to listen to that. And that's the problem. That's the problem. That it's so easy to do it that there is part of me that wants to listen to it. And that that has to be overcome, that has to be resisted. Because hearing the good word, hearing the positive word, takes work. It requires effort. The remarkable thing in all of this is note how patient, how incredibly patient Almighty God is. In the face of these incredible accusations, the Lord continues to provide. As deep as our doubt is, deeper still is the generous patience of the Lord, who says, I will keep teaching you that I will care for you until you finally learn the lesson. And so once again, heaven responds with providence, 
and with goodness. And the quail cover the earth and the Israelites find themselves in the wasteland that has no food and no life, surrounded by a sudden abundance beyond anything they could do for themselves. And the next morning to their wonder, as the dew falls and dissipates, the bread of heaven is there, and all they have to do is stretch out their hands and take it. And the lesson is, the Lord brought you here to care for you. And he brought you into the wasteland to show you that he'll care for you and not somebody else. The hunger wasn't a test. It was an invitation to trust. And note that it came after they were given so many signs that they could trust the Lord. But the heart that depends on signs keeps looking for another. When the simplicity of trust is a different thing. To really trust is to let the voice of fear begin to grow quiet. To really trust is to let the voice of doubt grow still. To really trust is to say there's another word that I need to pay attention to. How wonderful is that? The reality is the people of God still do this. We all still do this. Ancient Israel is not that much different than we modern Christians. And yet here we are in this place, and while it doesn't look like we're in a desert, we are here that the Lord care for us and feed us. And pay attention to the Eucharistic prayer today. Remember what was said in the first reading. The dew fell, and when it evaporated, there were the flakes on the ground, the bread from heaven. Pay attention to the Eucharistic prayer. Because as I stretch out my hands over the gifts today, I'm going to say, send out down your spirit, O Lord, like the dew fall, so that these gifts may become for us the body and blood of Christ. What a marvelous connection. Here the true dew from heaven, the grace of the Holy Spirit falls. And in its falling, we don't have flakes on the ground, but we have the bread of angels, the living bread come down from heaven on this altar. And just as Israel was instructed, go, gather it, take it, eat it, satisfy your hunger. That is what happens here. The Lord who gives himself as bread says, come forward and gather. And do not worry about the quantity, because there is more in the smallest fragment that you could ever need, because it is me. What happened that day in the desert when the manna fell for the first time was also a sign pointing to this day when you would gather here and come forward to this altar to receive the true bread, the great bread, 
the living bread, the bread that is Christ himself. And it's a constant reminder that in this world, which often seems a desert, the Lord has brought us here to care for us and to feed us in a way that nothing in this world can do, only he. Amen.